The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give, give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. <coughs> so I say to you, ask and it will be given you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of God, Amen. Amen. Well, just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water, I'm uh, on the sandy beach yelling to you that uh, there's some pretty heavy-duty stuff in Luke's Gospel for today, thus emphasizing a point I have made in the past, that uh, the summertime for the Christian is a time for struggling mano a mano with serious Christian issues. Not much frivolity here, but I think true food for thought, whether you're in the ocean or on a sandy beach. And if we didn't think that already, we would be confirmed in those thoughts by a certain word at the beginning of, of Luke's story. He says, Jesus went to a certain place, a certain place. Now, for us, as we remember, there was a certain man who went down to Jericho, a certain lawyer who wished to justify himself. This word means watch out. There's something special coming, something special. And Jesus is involving himself in a habit of prayer, which he establishes very clearly, uh, particularly in Luke's gospel, this time of speaking with God. And so the disciple comes to him and says, probably not knowing what he is doing, says, teach us to pray, teach us to pray. And here's what Jesus responds. Father, 
hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. That is the Lucan uh, version, and I might tell you that is the older, uh, uh, not trimmed down because it's more the original than the Matthew Gospel, uh, which we, the, we read in the ninth chapter of Matthew. Remember, uh, we say this uh, all the time, but just to remind you, in Matthew it says, uh, Our Father, who art in heaven, thy will be done on earth. As in heaven, that's that's in Matthew, but not in uh, Luke. And then he says in Matthew, but deliver us from evil as opposed to the time of trial. Now, these may be small differences, but I think that uh, in Luke's gospel, there really is a, uh, a powerful message in what is said and what is left out. And I think the first thing to understand is is that Jesus is saying, if you want to know how to pray, you should understand the majesty and the power and the oneness of God. This isn't a question of what posture you take or what special words you make. This is understanding the nature of God as well as we can. That's sort of the terra firma of our prayer life. And then Jesus goes on to say the things that he has mentioned in Luke's gospel. He says, uh, Father. And it's interesting because uh, names, obviously, in in the ancient world, uh, much like nicknames now, are supposed to be words that uh, tell us a little bit about the person or about their role. And uh, it's interesting, but the word in Aramaic for father has to do with a family relationship, a familiarity. And so um, my uh, professor of uh, New Testament, uh, when we were reading, uh, when we were reading this in the Greek, said this that means daddy. This is daddy. He's daddy. Now, for some people, maybe that's a little too informal, but that's the idea. He is with you. He's, he's in uh, your hut with you. He's out in the fields with you while you push your donkey and plow a furrow. It's daddy. In other words, worthy of trust, somebody who knows you, somebody who you know and maybe could aspire to know better. This is no uh, marble staircase God with sapphire and golden throne that you climb up and grovel at his feet. This is Daddy, the same old person that we know forever and ever. But then it says, Daddy, hallowed be thy name, which is kind of a, you know, repetition, because of course God is holy. But this means, you know, I think it means that um, the idea of God and all that God stands for, insofar as us trying to have a relationship with him, uh, is what makes that hollowed. And it's us, in fact, who are seeking to be hollowed in the relationship with God. So 
it's an acknowledgement from us that daddy is special, really special. And, you know, we're not very likely to give credit to powers greater than ourselves. It's hard for us to do that. Uh, but that's what this prayer is urging us to do. And that's why, in part, it answers this question. You know, how do I pray? Well, this is how. You say, Daddy, you say, hallowed, and then you say, your kingdom come. And we're all familiar with the Bible that uh, the the world of Christ, the kingdom of Christ is coming to an end. And there will be a time of ultimate judgment and ultimate placement of all of us based on how much we love the Lord and how much we try to serve him. And so this is sort of a a dramatic uh, underpinning to the prayer. It says, you know, I'm praying. I'm praying for the end of the world. And it's going to be a great time. You know, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's something special. It's not like Slim Pickens riding the atomic bomb, you know, uh, down before it blows up. It's not a, you know, necessarily a jolly time, but I'm reminding myself, you know, I want to know how to pray. I remember that God is the beginning and the end and he can do all things. And then it says, give us each day our daily bread each day, each day, our daily bread. And I think perhaps uh, we might be inclined to forget about that and say, well, the word bread is sort of symbolic for just looking after us. And it isn't. Again, uh, in in the Greek, it isn't. It's it's the rough flour which is baked up uh, into bread. It is bread. And remember, certainly in the ancient world, you know, bread was it. Bread was love. Bread was sustenance. Bread uh, was the very thing that bound us up. And so we have to thank him for bread. Now, for us in modern times, it just means, you know, I haven't realized this. I need God. Remember from the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are they who know their need of God. Blessed are they who know their need of God. And that's sort of what this is saying about daily bread. It's it's a relationship that we count on daily. God feeds us. He reaches out to us. Uh, But in addition to that, in addition to that, we as his followers and those who love him must continue to understand that, if you will, bread and everything else comes from God. I think it's hard for us to be desperate for God. You know, we either we're too embarrassed, we're too prideful, we're, we're too doubtful to understand that at the basis of everything, he is. He is. I, I mean, it, it's a, let's face it, it's a big idea to get your head wrapped around. I mean, it really is, you know. He is the basis of all that we have, all that we are, all that we will be. But again... The disciple asked, and so Jesus is telling him, this is what it's like to pray. It means you have to understand your own need of God and turn to God for help and understanding. And then, most, I think, powerful of all, there is this slightly long phrase which says, forgive us our sins for we ourselves, that's a given, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. It's like it's a given that we do that. And of course it isn't. It isn't. 
But the purpose of this statement is to reveal, I think, maybe the basic, the basic face of God, that he forgives always. He forgives. He forgives the prodigal son. He forgives the thieves. He forgives all, period. And maybe, moreover, those who specifically turn to him. But God forgives. But we have to understand that if we are to receive any forgiveness at all, we have to be willing to forgive. We must forgive. If you don't forgive, it's kind of like you have a vacuum in your life. Um, the, uh, th- there's a uh, pretty uh, powerful statement uh, in a book by Martin Seligman, who's a psychologist, uh, which is called Authentic Happiness. And he basically says, you know, there's two groups in the world and people uh, in psychiatry are sort of aware of this, so they may not believe it. There are people who are euphonic and that just you means good. So it's good feeling. They're good feeling or dysthymic. You know, we're all familiar with dysfunctional. So dysthymic means doesn't function well. And then, of course, there are all the people in the middle. And the one observation uh, this psychologist had was about the attributes of euphonic people was uh, that they could forgive and that they were grateful. They were grateful. Um, And I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty amazing because, you see, it seems to me if you're able to forgive, you have to be humble. If you're able to be grateful, you have to accept things and you have to put aside yourself and say, you know, it's all about me, isn't it? You know, after all, it is. It's all about me. You know, I mean, that's what Lady Gaga would say, right? It's all about me. And it isn't all about me. It isn't and it never will be all about me. And it's a terrible, terrible pit that human beings fall into uh, because of this. And um, we are we're needful of forgiveness. I mean, if only from sort of the stain of our first parents, which you hear sort of buzzing around a bit. But, you know, Adam and Eve had it made, had it made in paradise. It was absolutely phenomenal place. I mean, if you read Milton, it's incredible. You realize in paradise, all the roses had no thorns. There's that kind of place. See, that's kind of place. And could they stay there? No. They had to mess it up. They had to mess it up. And that's kind of like, you know, we have a sliver of that in all of us. We have to mess it up. And that, that stain is what God is seeking to wash from our hearts. That is the stain that God seeks to remove from us. And so he says, look, if you want me to forgive you, guess what you've got to do? You know, you've got to put aside your hatreds, your petty prejudices, your drive for power, all of those things that separate us from God and just open your arms and ask for forgiveness and forgive somebody else. That's the cycle of life, you know, forgive and be forgiven. That's how that's how we can go forward. And then finally, he says, don't bring us to the time of trial. And I think the reason for that is we might be found wanting. 
And uh, in, indeed, though, we do have times when we are brought to the time of trial. And remember, trial means temptation. And then we're back with our first parents in the Garden of Adam and Eve. And uh, remember, you know, what was it that they wanted so much? They didn't even know. They didn't even know. I mean, you could say the serpent made them do things, but that's just an excuse. You know, I'm not trying to get into this about Eve or anything, but, you know, it, it, that, that's where it all started. And then together, Adam and Eve said, you know, we want to know the difference between good and evil. And so we will. And, and why? Because we can. Because we can. We can reach out and grasp for it because God has made us free creatures. And then he was very disappointed with us and sent them forth to a life of travail and sadness with only the light to remember that he was there even though they had to be that foolish and that selfish. So bring us not to the test I think is something that again it's forgiving us and we forgiving others. And that's really um, the, the, most, the most important thing of it all. Um, and then finally we have these stories about um, uh, people in certain extreme situations. Like we have this small village, you know, if you can imagine just um, uh, puddles and a few chickens and an uh, oven in the middle of the village and these very small, flimsy little uh, huts made out of various palm fronds and things like that. And maybe a two-room house, one for the, one for the donkeys and one for the, uh, for the people. And uh, this guy comes and pounds on his, on his neighbor's door and says, look, I need some help. You know, I've, I've got a visitor and you know how that what that means in the ancient world. And would you kindly get up and give me some bread? And the guy in bed says, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do it for you. And then Jesus puts in this twist and he says, but since you're persistent, I will do it. Well, again, that word isn't quite right, the word persistent as to what it is. Uh, it's shameless. You know, the, the guy, he's screaming at the top of his voice in the middle of this little village, and everybody knows, you know, you know little villages, everybody knows what everybody else is doing, and this guy's pounding on the door, and so now everybody's awake, and they say, he's not, he's not going to open the door, is he? You know? No, he's not. And, and then he says, oh, God, I've got to open the door. And, of course, on one level, because of the whole tradition of uh, hospitality. But more than that, it's to say, I am going to respond to the call of God, no matter how hard that seems. And God is pounding on the door. But at the last moment, you know, I get there, even though I didn't answer for a long time, I get there. And that's necessary. You know, for our prayer lives. And then a wonderful little story, which just sounds a little, you know, sort of spooky, but um, it, it's basically a story to understand our limitations and the generosity of God. And so Jesus says, you know, would you give your child a serpent when he asks for an egg? What, what parent would do that is the idea. And so the point of all of that is, is that God is so much more generous than that, that you would not have to worry that he wouldn't reach out and try to help and try to be there and try to give you something which was an egg and wasn't a serpent or wasn't a scorpion. And that's what God does. God reaches out in love. And at, at the basis of everything, 
know? Love is the basis for everything and all that happens in God's life. And I think finally, if we want to know how to pray, and I think there are lots of different ways of doing this, so it's, there's no sort of checklist, you know. You know, I don't think Ignatius of Loyola, you know, he was good, but he wasn't all that helpful in sort of the broad picture, you know. And that is that there's no way to pray but to know God and to respond uh, in your heart and soul to what he suggests. And then maybe you should read this prayer in Luke uh, and come to some understanding of it. So you see, after all, uh, this lazy summer day, it's, it's, it's important, you know, to think about how we pray, how we come to God, and how we know God. So uh, go in peace and love the Lord. Amen. Amen.